Hey everyone, welcome to Tom French Preaching. This is the podcast of me, Tom French, preaching. I'm a guy who lives in Melbourne and does Bible talks for youth and other people around Australia and all over the internet. To celebrate the release of my new book of devotions on Ephesians for the next little while here on the podcast, I'm going to be releasing talks through the entire book of Ephesians. These talks have been preached in church services, on camps, and in other contexts, and some of them are as old as 2015, some as recent as 2022. Some have been on the podcast before, and some of them are brand new. If you like the talks, hopefully you'll love the devotions. There are 40 days of readings, and they'll take you through the entire book of Ephesians. You can order the book now by heading to tomfrench.com.au forward slash Ephesians. All right, that's all for now. I hope you enjoy the talk. So you probably know the feeling uh, when you are lying down to go to sleep, you've turned off the lights, you're, you're, you're just drifting off, and then you hear this noise. It goes... And you're like, oh, no, what is that? And you're like, it's mozzy. And you're like, ah, oh, mozzy. And you're like, I'll just lie here, and hopefully it'll go away. But then it doesn't. And it gets close to your ear, and you're like, and you're like great, I'll get it. And you try and get it. And then the mozzy kind of disappears. And you're like, oh, I can go to sleep now. And then you're just drifting off, and then it's... Like, oh! And so then you wait, and this time you're waiting for the mozzie to land. You're like, I'm going to get it when it lands. And it comes up right near your face, and then it stops. He's like, yes, I got it. And then you slap yourself in the face, and you think you got the mozzie. And then you're like, oh, I can go to sleep now. And then, and you're like, no, and the mozzie is back. And, and you're like, what am I going to do about this mozzie? And so then, and then you think, maybe I can just go to sleep, because if I sleep, then I, I won't hear the mozzie. I never hear mozzies when I'm asleep. So then that, that'll be fine. It'll just bite me, and that'll be okay. But then you get this image of you know, the mozzie sucking you dry. And then your, par- your family will walk in, and they will find your deflated corpse there in the morning. And so you're like, I don't want that to happen. And so then you're like, what am I going to do? And you're like, I've got to get up. And so then you get up, and you turn on the light and then you start looking for the mozzie and then you spend the next 10 minutes trying to find the mozzie and then you're chasing the mozzie around and you're climbing over furniture and you're slapping the walls and eventually you get it and there's a, there's a really satisfying squish and the blood goes everywhere and then you're like, done, I can go to sleep. And that is like the Christian life. And you might say, what? how is that like the Christian life? Well, it is like the Christian life because in tonight's passage, we hear about light and darkness. And the only way that you can escape that mozzie, the only way you can beat that mozzie is by turning on the light. While the light is off, you are in darkness and the mozzie is there and it is biting you and is sucking you dry and you can try and get it, but you don't know where the mozzie is or how to attack it. You don't know what to do. You are just a victim of the mozzie and a victim of your own stupidity. It's only when you turn the light on that you can deal with the mozzie. Now, what Paul tells us in this passage is that we, when we don't know Jesus, we are in darkness and we are victims of sin and we are people who commit sin. And the only way that we can find the way to attack our sin, to beat our sin, the only way is if Christ comes and illuminates our life. Christ brings us into the light. And in fact, the passage tells us we become light. 
And so then, when we become light, we are able to deal with our sin properly. One, we deal with our sin because Christ deals with our sin on the cross. But two, we see truth and, and lies distinctly. We, we know what is right and wrong because we are no longer in darkness, but we are in light. And so we can identify what is going wrong in our lives. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can track it down and, and we can deal with it. We can live in the light. We can live as light. And in fact, it tells us that as we live as light in the world, not only do we have our lives changed by Jesus, but we change the lives of others because we, as light, we push back the darkness. Because darkness never puts out light, light always puts out darkness. And so we, as light, empowered by Jesus, get to live in this world, living out the truth of Jesus and what Jesus calls us to, and bring light to the world. We are called to live as children of the light. We are called to live lives of light. And so what does it mean to live lives of light? Well, this passage here, Paul gives us three ideas. One is that living a life of light is about purity. Another is that living a life of light is about purpose. And the last one is that living a life of light is about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to look at those three tonight. The first one is purity. Have a look at the beginning of the passage, verse 3. It says this, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For for of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Now, when we hear of purity, when we say, oh, we've got to live a pure life, the first thing that our minds go to, pretty much, I'm guessing, is sex. That's what our minds go to. Sex, sex, sex. It's all we ever think about. And sex is important to think about. And it's important for there to be purity in our sex lives. But this passage is not just talking about purity in our sex lives. And we can be so focused on one part of purity in our lives that we neglect to look at other parts. And so then we will be in trouble because we are, have got our focus wrong. We're overly focused on one area and forget the rest of the things that are in the passage for us to do. Uh, When I was a kid, I used to like to ride my bike. I used to ride it from my house up to the local corner store, and I would buy a drink or a lolly or something, and then I would ride it back home, and it was was good fun. And there was this one uh, hill on the way home, which I really liked. It was not too long. It was not too steep. It was just long enough and steep enough I could get up a good amount of speed and I didn't really need to use my brakes and then I would turn right into the street on the way to my house and I would just, whoom, and it would be really fun. But there was this one particular day when I was riding down this hill and uh, I, I knew that I had to turn right into a street and I, I didn't want to get taken out by a car so I looked behind me to check if there was a car that was about to take me out and as I looked, I turned, I turned the handlebars of the bike and then the bike started going in the wrong direction and so then I turned, I was like, oh no, and I turned back and I turned the handlebars back and it all happened too quickly and then I fell off my bike and I crashed into the gutter and then I was lying there on the ground and I was in front of someone's driveway and I looked up and I saw the house and I was like, this is the house of my sister's kindergarten teacher and, and that was a big deal for me because I was three when my sister was in kindergarten and she had told me that the kin- her kindergarten teacher was the nicest person in the world
world. So I was like, I just crashed outside the nicest person in the world's house. This is excellent. And then I looked up and there was a car waiting to turn into the driveway of the nicest person in the world. And I was like, there she is in the car, the nicest person in the world, turning into the driveway. And then I, was, I got up and I moved my bike to let her through and she drove up and then she got it out of her car and she went into her house and the nicest person in the world ignored me. And that's not really the point of the story, but that's a really sad thing I needed to get that off my chest. The point was that the whole time when I was, well, the time when I was riding my bike there, I was so focused on one thing, not being hit by a car, which is definitely a good thing, you should not get hit by cars, that I didn't focus on another thing, which was keeping my, um, my handlebars facing in the right direction. And because I was focused on the wrong thing, I crashed. And the same is true in our Christian life. If we focus too much on one thing and neglect the other things, we're in for a crash. Things are going to go badly, so we have to focus on all sorts of things. We have, to, we have to have a life of purity in all sorts of areas. And Paul is telling us that we need to be pure uh, in our regards to sex and in regards to our speech and in regards to our desires. So the question is, where is it that you are neglecting to focus? Where is it that you need to put work into your purity? For some of you, it may be sex. It may be that your sex lives are, are out of shape with God's idea for what your sex life should be like. And whether you are single or married or somewhere in between, you actually have a sex life. It's true. It doesn't mean that you're actually going around and doing whatever you want to do, but you are a sexual being because God has created you that way. And our world loves sex. It loves sex. We, we see sex on the TV and in advertising and in songs. Sex is everywhere. We get these ideas about sex from the world. And some of you, uh, you'll hear about these things. You'll be like, yeah, that sounds, that sounds fine to me. And you'll conform your life to the ideas about sex that the world gives us. Others of you will hear about the ideas of the, of the sex that the world gives us. And you'll be like, no, I don't like that. That's terrible. And so you pattern your life as in opposition to the ideas of sex that the world gives us. And the problem is that in both of these cases, you are defining yourself by the ideas of sex that the world gives us. When in fact, the way that you should respond to sex should be from a biblical worldview. The Bible should shape your view of sex. And the Bible has an excellent view of sex. The Bible loves sex. And I know this because the very first command that God gives to humanity in the Bible is to have sex. It's true. You're like, what? Great, I'm becoming a Christian. This is fantastic. He says to, to Adam and Eve, he says, he says to be fruitful and multiply. How do humans multiply? It's sex. It's true. Wow, you didn't know that. It's true. That's how babies are made, through sex. And so the Bible says that it, it is good. Sex is there to make babies. But also then when we read Song of Songs, it tells us that sex is there to have fun, for, for a husband and wife to get to know each other and to be intimate with each other and to enjoy each other's company. And then when we read the New Testament, it's saying that sex is not just about uh, intimacy and fun and making babies, but it tells us also that sex is a picture of the gospel. It tells us that when a husband and wife love each other, it is a picture of Christ loving the church. And when a husband and wife give themselves up for one another, when they are completely open with one another and they, they have sex, they are giving themselves completely to each other in, in, in a way that, that mirrors what God has done for us in his son Jesus. That Jesus gave himself completely to us. So sex is also a picture of the gospel. This is a high view of sex. 
The Bible thinks that sex is important and sex is special. And that is why the Bible tells us that sex is to be uh, kept within the marriage of a man and a woman. Because it is that important that it's this picture of God's love for the world. And it is and it's a picture of God's good gifts to us that we save it for one space. And so when we look at the world's view of sex, then it's much a lower view. It says that sex is fun and sex is about making babies and, and sex is about yourself. And, and that's about all. And so we need to make sure that we pattern our view of sex against the, the Bible's view of sex. So the question is then, how is your purity when it comes to sex? Are you someone who is pursuing this idea of sex that is given to us in the Bible? Are you someone who is wanting to love everyone around you and to, to use your relationships not to take from people but to give to others? When the world talks about sex, it says that sex is there to make us happy and we can use others for our pleasure. When the Bible talks about relationships, it says whether you are friends or whether you are married to each other, one way or another, you are meant to give yourselves to others. To, to, to treat others with respect and love, not to use others, but in fact to serve others. And so in your, your way of relating to sex, in your sex life, how are you doing that? Are you someone who is treating everyone with respect? Or are you doing something different? Are you looking at porn, where you see other people not as people to be served, but objects there for your own gratification? Are you hooking up with people who you're not committed to? Are you sleeping with someone who you're not married to? Are you respecting your husband or your wife? Are you wanting to serve the people who you are with, whether you are romantically attached to them or not? How is your sex life? Are you patterning your sex life after what the Bible has given us, or are you choosing something else, your own desires, your own pleasure, how is your purity? What do you need to change? If we're going to live as people of the light, then we need to have a sex life that reflects the life that God has given us in Jesus. But it's not just about sex, is it? There's more there. It also tells us that we have to have purity of speech. Have a look. It tells us in verse 4, it says this, nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. So how is your speech? Is your speech pure? You know, we like to talk about sex, and most of this passage actually is talking about sex here, and saying, you know, we like to talk about sex, and we like to make jokes about sex, and, you know, sex is funny. There are things about sex that are funny. But what this is saying is saying when we take uh, jokes about sex and we talk about sex in a way that devalues sex, and we, we make it just about a crude joke, just about getting a laugh, then we take a good gift that God has given us and we turn it into, and we devalue it. We say it's just a joke. It's just there for a laugh. It's just there to make me feel funny or to get rid of any uncomfortableness that I feel to make me seem all cool and okay with things. But we use sex as a joke. And sex is not a joke. It's a good gift from God. And how is your language? Are you someone who swears regularly? Because swearing, what we do with swearing is with a lot of swear words, we swear about sex, really, and sexual organs. And, and this is what we do when we take a good thing that God has given us and turn it into a bad word. We are devaluing the gifts that God has given us. 
Instead, we should let our lives reflect our thankfulness to God. And so that our, the way that we speak is about thankfulness. And our jokes are about thankfulness. And our speech is about thankfulness. It doesn't mean that we can't find things funny. It just means that we say we use good words for good things. And we treat the th- good things that God has given us as things not to be mocked. And things not to be made into crude jokes, but things to be thankful about. And we speak with thankfulness. And then the last thing that we see is that we need purity of desire. Notice that when he talks about, uh, about things, he says there should not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed. Now, we are very good in the church about, at talking about sex, and we're not that good at talking about greed. But greed is something which plagues our lives. Greed is saying that we are not satisfied with the good things that God has given us, and so we want more. And either we, we desire more and we think about more and we, um, we want to get more or we actually go out and we take more for ourselves. And, of course, in terms of sex, there is plenty of greed that is about. Uh, when, we, when we sleep with someone that we're not married to, we're being greedy. We're saying, I'm not happy with what God has given me. I'm going to take it for myself. When we look at porn, we're being greedy. We're saying, you know, I'm not happy with with living within God's boundaries. I'm going to treat this person as an object. I'm going to use them for my own satisfaction. I'm going to be greedy. But it's not just about sex. We can be greedy with our our money. We can say, "I'm I'm not satisfied with the amount that God has given me. I'm going to try and get more. I'm not going to trust God with what he's given me. I'm just going to try and spend my life getting more, hoarding for myself. I'm not going to give to him or give to others. I'm going to keep it for myself. Instead, we should be thankful and generous with what we have, trusting that where God provides, he will continue to provide. We can be greedy with our time and say, you know, I'm going to keep my time to myself. Or the, the things that I've been invited to do, you know, if they don't satisfy me, they're not fun enough, they're not enjoyable enough. If that, if that doesn't meet my requirements, then I'm not going to do it. We're greedy with our time. We can be greedy with our possessions, wanting more possessions and keeping our possessions for ourselves, not willing to lend them to others and use them for the glory of God. Instead, we should be thankful people, trusting God that he is a God who provides and gives enough and be generous, not desiring more, not greedy, but thankful and trusting that God is a God who provides. So how's your purity? How's your desires? How's your sex life? How's your speech? Live as a person of, your life, of the light, who is someone uh, who trusts God in all things. The next thing that uh, we're going to see, though, is that it's not just about uh, our purity, but it's also about our purpose. Uh, look at verse 15. Paul says this. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And what he's saying here is that you need to have a purpose in life. You need to live wisely and look for God's will and live out God's will. Make sure that you are making the most of every opportunity you have. And sometimes we can spend our time looking for all the different opportunities that we waste the opportunities that God has given us. You know, when I first uh, met Em, uh, it was 
it was a glorious time. I liked meeting her, but it was a very glorious time for, for a few reasons, because I, I really liked Em, and, and she seemed like a nice person, but I didn't know her that well. But at the same time that I was getting to know Em, also in my life, I met uh, two other women who were very good-looking and Christian and, and seemed like a lot of fun, and they were single. And I was like, wow, this is like a perfect storm of women. There are three women who have turned up in my life right now. I need to figure out what I'm going to do about this. And in the past, I had, I had met people who I was interested in. I found them attractive. And so I was like, well, I find you attractive. I better figure out if we're compatible. And so I would spend time with them and I'd try and get to know them. And I'd try and figure out you know, if we were compatible in our musical tastes and in our movie tastes and in our theology and in our, our thoughts about um, you know, the environment and our thoughts about you know, how you should drive and our thoughts about everything. I would figure out everything, make sure, like, yes, this is the person that I could marry for the rest of my life. Then I will ask her on a date. And then I would spend so long trying to do this, then I'd ask her on a date and, and you know, there was, everything had dissipated and, and didn't work very well. So I was like, this time, I'm not going to miss the opportunity. I'm going I'm to work out this perfect storm. I'm going to figure out these women. And so I, would, I, I had the opportunity to spend one-on-one on one -on -one time with each of them. So I spent time with them and I asked them the right questions and I flirted a little bit and I showed them my biceps and I tried to figure out what they thought of, of you know, skinny, white, hairy men. And, uh, and then, and then I, I made a decision and eventually I was like, well, actually, Emily seems like the one. I'm going to ask her on a date. And so I asked her on a date and I didn't ask the others on a date, which was the right thing to do. And we went out and we ate some bad um, Asian food and we watched a zombie movie and now we're married. So... <laughs> What happened there was that I was like, I missed lots of opportunities. I'm like, I'm not going to miss this opportunity. I need to make the most of this opportunity. And, and, you know, if there's someone you like, let me tell you, get onto it. But that's not the point of this passage. The point of this passage is saying uh, that, you know, you can't miss any opportunity. That God gives us so many opportunities to serve Him, make the most of them, seek the Lord's will, and then live out God's will. And some of you, when you hear this phrase, God's will, you're like, yes. What is God's will for my life? I need to know God's will. And then we spend our time thinking about God's will and praying about God's will and talking to people about God's will and trying to figure out God's will for our life. We spend so much time trying to figure out God's will for our life so then we can get on with our life and not waste our life, that we waste our life trying to figure out God's will for our life. God has told us His will for our life, at least in broad strokes, God's will for our life is written to us here in His Word. He tells us to love Him and to love others. And then He gives us lots of great ideas about how we can go about doing it. And then He gives us lots of stories about people who don't go about doing it very well so that we can learn from them and then learn to live out His will for our lives well. He teaches us how to live out His will in His Word and so we can get on with it. But how do you figure out God's will apart from just reading the Bible? Well, you need wisdom. Someone once, <clears throat> excuse me, someone once said that wisdom uh, is, is like knowing the difference. Oh, no, let me start that again. Because that was, that was a good quote. And if I tell it wrong, it'll be, you won't laugh. And this, that would be the worst. It says, knowledge is knowing... <clears throat> Oh, now I'm dying. Knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in fruit salad. <laughs> okay, that didn't work. Anyway, wisdom, wisdom is knowing what to do with the knowledge that God gives you in his word. And so you, need, you have God's will for your life here, but knowing how to apply it to your life, you need wisdom for that. So how do you get wisdom? Well, James tells us that we need to ask for wisdom. He says, if any one of you lacks wisdom, ask God for wisdom and he'll give it to you. 
So ask God for wisdom. And then go out there and start putting things into practice and finding out what it is that God wants you to do with your life. Then you will be figuring out God's will for you. You know, the best thing to do is just to put what you know into practice and then you'll start to figure things out. You just put a tomato in a fruit salad and then you'll learn. You shouldn't put a tomato in the fruit salad. You're figuring things out. So if you're like, I, I, I want to know how to, to tell my friends about Jesus, well then try and tell your friends about Jesus. You'll learn pretty quickly what works and what doesn't. When, when they punch you in the nose, you're like, that didn't work. I'll try something else. If you're like, I want to invite my friends to church, but I don't know how, well then invite your friends to church. And then you'll figure out how it works, what works and what doesn't. If you're like, I want to know what God wants me to do for a career, well then start you know, working out what are, you, what are you passionate about? What are you good at? Start doing things. Start serving him. Say, what, what is it that I can do which will work in God's kingdom? And then you know, maybe you can start training in a field. And then as you do this, you'll figure out, you know, I kind of fit here. I don't really fit here. And you'll course correct a little bit or maybe a lot. Maybe we'll completely change direction. But start putting things into practice. If you just sit around waiting for God to tell you what to do, you're going to miss the opportunities that he is giving you right now. So make the most of every opportunity right now. And put God's word into practice. Know his word and put it into practice and you will discover God's will for your life. Because it's here. It's time to start living it out. The last thing that we see here is that Paul wants us to live a life of light, being filled with the Spirit. This is what it says. Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just drink a little bit of water. Now, when, uh, when we hear this stuff about being filled with the Spirit... If uh, you are a good Baptist, you start freaking out. You're like, I don't want to be filled with the Spirit. That sounds terrible. Am I going to have to start falling over and running around with flags? That sounds really bad. Usually, we'll go in the other order. You run around with flags, then you fall over. It's dangerous. Um, but this is not what the passage is saying. It's not saying that you need to be filled with the Spirit and do crazy Pentecostal stuff. Though, if you want to, that's fine. And maybe we need to get a little bit more crazy here at Mitchum. Maybe put up your hand once or twice when you're not asking a question, if you want to. That's okay. Do whatever you want. I don't mind. Just... Okay, so the, what, the, what the Bible is saying here is it's saying that to be filled with the Spirit isn't actually about doing crazy stuff, but it's just about your worship. It's about the way we worship together. We worship with each other. We speak to each other when we sing to God, that we sing to God with thankfulness, and we are thankful to God. This is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. I don't know if you've ever had those times where you've been singing to God or worshiping with other people where you feel so filled with the love of God that you feel like you're going to burst. Now, I'm not a very emotional person, but it's happened to me a few times. And one time I particularly remember was when I was in high school. I was on this camp. It was a high school leadership camp. And we were there and we had this worship night and, uh, and we were singing, and then there was this one song that came on, Ancient of Days. Some of you might remember it. It was like, blessing and honor, glory and power, be unto the ancient of days. It was a terrible song, but I'm sorry. It, wasn't, it just wasn't that good, but, it, but the song was playing, and then we heard it, we're like, that's amazing. It's like, let's sing it again. So we sang it again, and, uh, and it was even better the second time. So we're like, let's sing it another time. And so then we sang it again, and we're like, sing it again. And so we sang it. We sang it for like an hour straight, 
And it was amazing. And you might be like, that sounds terrible. And it does to me now, but at the time, I'm like, this is the best. Because I was worshipping God. And I was being filled with His Spirit. And when we're filled with God's Spirit, God's Spirit is doing His work in us. Because it's not, it's not like we get filled with the Spirit, we're just going to get more of God, because we don't get more of God's Spirit. We don't get any more, more saved by Him. But when the Spirit is working, what He does is He points us to Jesus. That's His job. And so when we are worshipping God, when we are getting to know His character, when we are singing with each other, we are filling ourselves up with the knowledge of God, and the Holy Spirit is pointing us to Jesus, and we get filled with love for Him and thankfulness, and gratitude. And, we, and, and this is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. So as we worship, we worship to each other. Not we don't worship each other, but what it says here, it says, speak to each other with psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit. When we sing, we actually sing to each other. You know, uh, in, I think it's Mighty to Save, where it says, shine your light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. You're not singing to Jesus to shine his light. You're singing to each other to shine your light. Because we are the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world, but so are we. And so we get to shine God's light and we sing to each other. And as we sing to each other, we are filled with the Spirit because we get to know God better. We love him more. And then as we sing also, we are singing to God. And we get to know him and we get filled with love for him because we are worshipping him. And we can do it together and we can do it alone. And lastly, it says, be thankful. And we are thankful to God in everything. And it doesn't mean that we thank God for absolutely everything that happens, like when bad things happen. We're like, thank you, God, for this terrible thing that happens, as if God is the author of evil. But we thank God even in bad times, knowing that God is good even in the bad things, and he provides for us even in the hard times. That God will continue to be good, so we are thankful in everything. And as we do this, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are filled with the knowledge of God. And we love him more. And we are more able to go out and serve him because we are filled. This is what it means to live a life of light, to live a life of purity, to live a life of purpose and live a life filled with God's spirit. Now, if you're not a Christian, then you might be hearing this and thinking, this sounds terrible. It sounds really bad. It sounds like no fun at all. You know, like no sex, no drinking. It told us not to drink in there, to not... No, not allowed to earn a lot of keep our money for ourselves. It sounds terrible. Well, maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't sound like much fun. But, but what the Bible teaches us is that, you know, we can live a life for ourselves if we want to. And we will have temporary happiness, small amounts of excitement, or we can live following Jesus. And Jesus didn't come just to save us from our sins, though he did. And he didn't come just to, uh, you know, save, uh, to, to give us forgiveness, though he did. He also came to save us from a mediocre life. He saved us to an eternal life of purpose. He saved us so that when we follow him, when we live a life of light, we live a life of deep satisfaction in him. That as we live out a life of purity and of purpose and of being filled with the Spirit, we have deep satisfaction now and we are stepping into the eternal with the way we live. If you want, you can stay in darkness and you can stay with your temporary happiness, but it will end. Only in trusting Jesus who came and lived and died and rose again for you can you have a life of deep satisfaction now, an eternal life, loving and living in him for eternity. Choose Jesus.
And for those of us who are Christians, then this is saying to us, live as children of the light. Figure out where you need to, to be living a pure life. Where is it that you need to course correct? Work out God's will for your life by studying his word and then putting it into action. Have a life of purpose. And as you do it, do it all worshipping God, worshipping together and worshipping by yourself. Loving and speaking to God about how good he is and being filled with his spirit. And as we do that, we will see a life of deep satisfaction living in his light. How about I pray for us? Lord God, I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you that he came so that we might have life and life to the full. I thank you that he came to bring us light, but also to make us light. I pray that we would live lives of light, pushing back the darkness, helping others to see that you are good, and that you give us good things. I pray that we will be people who live a pure life, a life of thankfulness, a life of purpose, a life of worship being filled with your Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. I hope you love Jesus just that little bit more. If you want to get your hands on the Ephesians devotions, then head to tomfrench.com.au forward slash Ephesians. There you can also find my other books, videos, and plenty of other stuff. So feel free to check it out and don't forget to give this podcast a rating and review wherever you get your podcast so that other people might be able to discover it too. Till next time, have a good one.